As the over a third team, we would like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of the lands on which we are recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters, communities and cultures and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We in particular would like to extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who have shaped and contributed to netball over the decades. Additionally, over the over a third team would like to encourage people to uh, reflect on the contributions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples uh, to broader Australia and their enduring connection to this land and country and encourage people uh, ahead of the referendum to support a yes vote when they walk to the ballot box. back to another episode of the over a third podcast i am your host dan back after a little bit of a break and i'm joined by uh the returning holiday steph how are you hello well it's been a few weeks since i got back from my long long holiday but it was wonderful and refreshing well i'm um, glad to hear and we um we'll miss ariana this week who's stuck with a little bit too much netball given her schedule and unfortunately had to make the choice and We've uh, sent her to Concup instead of to this recording tonight, which, you know, fair enough, I think. Um, and we will get into that in a minute, but it's been a big few weeks in netball. So last time we sat here, Ariana and I sat here just after the World Cup and we wrapped that all up. We had our uh, players of the tournament for each third of the court. And we thought at that time that we'd be back about two weeks later with a signed CPA ready to talk about contracting. So we apologize for the uh, seven-week hiatus as we waited for that. Um, but we uh, we still don't have a CPA, which is kind of why we weren't rushing back. Um, and that's in part because um, I kind of have this conflict of interest and we've kind of mentioned a little bit before, but uh, I'm working as a player agent um, in part during this contracting period. And so we've been really careful about what we talk about and what we flag here because um, that's obviously a conflict of interest for me to be reporting things that might be uh, confidential at a certain time. And so that's why we've kind of been pretty quiet, but we are here to talk about the Constellation Cup, the CPA and the TPA and the confirmed departures from 2023 Super Netball sides. Um, we won't be launching too far into the 2024 makeup of rosters at this stage, um, just given that sensitivity. But before we get into the CONCAP, uh, before we get into the diamonds of the CONCAP, we should talk about the Silver Ferns because they've played since the World Cup. They played England, sort of, and England side in the Taney Jamison Trophy, which they won, but not after an almighty scare and a very large serving of egg for their faces, I would have thought. It was uh, pretty delightful as a, you know, Aussie fan, long-time Ferns, um, not a hater, that's a strong language, but, you know, good old rivalry between the Diamonds and the Ferns. You love to, to see them come undone a bit. Um, yeah, the sort of 
outrage from the firms and, and New Zealand Netball and, and a lot of their big commentators and fans that came before the Tiny Jamison Trophy uh, to sort of lose that first match in a pretty spectacular fashion to uh, what was dubbed England's B-side um, was was quite delightful. Well, and we should point out that it was called England's B-side because it was filled with players who hadn't been at the World Cup. Yes. Um, Not a single player that took court for England at the Netball World Cup was in this team. They did have their three uh, alternates that they named their reserves that they took to the World Cup, but um, England did not need to call upon any of those during the World Cup. So it was a, yeah, completely kind of new team. It was a new team, but it wasn't a team of scrubs. You know, these are players who've still earned their England Roses caps uh, by every stretch. And they certainly showed that in the first game where they took that match. And I think after that, there was a, a fair bit of schadenfreude and a, a lot of uh, enjoyment from English fans, uh, Aussie fans. I certainly enjoyed um, a little shout out to Helen Housby, whose social media game was entirely emojis with suggestive faces like, hmm, hmm, which, you know, you don't have to see my face on the, the podcast recording to know the, the face that Housby was making and the, the shade that was being thrown. <laughs> so, um, the Silver Ferns, you know, they did end up winning the Taney Johns, Taney Jamison Trophy. Um, but I wouldn't exactly call that a ringing endorsement of hot form coming into the Constellation Cup against a diamond squad that is full strength, very close to full strength. Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, you know, I think game two was uh, 57 for the Ferns to Rose's 36, but then certainly... Um, the English team fought back again in match three or test three uh, to end up with a much closer result. And often the game was much closer than the final scoreline of 59 to 52, which was the third third test match final score. Um, so I think it's, you know, for, for the Ferns who we're used to seeing as a very dominant number two in the world, um, this was, yeah, a bit of a catastrophe I think for them to be honest when it, it opened back up that question about the fact that um the silver ferns to be considered for selection are not allowed to play anywhere other than the ANZ premiership and whether that in fact given the restrictive import rules is actually the right way to go about it in terms of building success and I think it's really interesting because we have a comparison for what that looks like down the hall in New Zealand rugby with the All Blacks, who required that players play super rugby to be eligible for All Black selection. And the All Blacks have been for the last two decades, without a doubt, the best team in world rugby. There is a very legitimate argument that they are the greatest team that world sport has ever seen. They won like 85% of their matches over a 20 year stretch. Like it's, it's comical. And they have never allowed players to play elsewhere because Super Rugby has always been the highest level of domestic competition. But the last few years, as Australia has struggled, we have dragged down the level of Super Rugby competition and it's proving that it's no longer a source of strength for the All Blacks. And I think the Silver Ferns have adopted the same methodology without learning the lessons. And that 
the key lesson was that it only worked for the All Blacks because it was the highest level of competition that they could get. And I don't think there's a dispute that the best players in the world on the highest level of competition is probably not the ANZ Premiership. And it is definitely not the ANZ Premiership by the length of the court, which is what Super Rugby was for a long stretch of that time. And so actually maybe having players who aren't exposed to the other great sides of the world is not how you build them for the world stage, which is when you want them because you have expectations of medals at major meets. And I think also some of the commentary, again, on your point, Dan, it's about the restriction on imports as well. So, you know, both in terms of New Zealand players not being able to leave if they want to represent their country, but also not allowing um, too many imports in to really shake up the competition, um, have different styles out on court that you are practising against week in, week out, which as much as international teams have benefited from their players playing in SSN and the Australian League, um, I think we've also seen the benefit of having the Australian players go up against Janelle Fowler week in, week out and um, Shamira Sterling and co and Helen Housby. <laughs> um, greatest potential player she may be arguably at the moment um yeah to to have them be someone you battle against week in week out is is huge and I mean I think there was there was also a lot of commentary around world cup around um you know what it is to what what does it mean to say debut against Australia um or play against Australia if you're a smaller nation um and there were players who actually said that there are, um, you know, Nia Jones commented on the fact that some of her Welsh team do still really end up sort of like fangirling or getting caught up in seeing, you know, Courtney Bruce down the other end of the court um, and what it does mean to so many of those, particularly younger players who are debuting for the first time or at their first major pinnacle event to go up against those players and, you know, I think they're, you know, as netball, world netball decreases the gap between teams that will become less and less, but that is still a factor that happens uh, even in international netball and at our pinnacle events. And when you actually play against these players week in, week out, that absolutely vanishes. So um, I think there's that aspect of the lack of imports and talent and international talent coming into the New Zealand league as well. Absolutely. And I think that that's the other part is you look at, I'm going to take the example of Joe Weston and how she, as soon as she steps on court against the Roses, she knows how she's going to niggle Helen Houseby into annoyance. And she knows that Joe Harden's going to do exactly the same to her. And then there's this familiarity that, that there's no, oh my God, it's Helen Houseby. It's right. Let's get right under those skin. Like let's sharpen the fingernails and get right under the skin. And I think that familiarity breeds a really high level of competition. You're right. And Nepal New Zealand have shown an unwillingness to engage in it. And I don't think that they have the talent infrastructure at the moment to take that position and continue to grow. And I think we've seen that over the last few years in that it's now been two pinnacle events that they have struggled at. Um, and I think that in both cases, in both the World Cup and the Com Games, we would say that New Zealand were well off the pace. 
um, regardless of actually whether they finished third or fourth, they were significantly off the pace in both. And that's a new sensation for New Zealand. I don't think it's a good one, but going back to the concern about uh, what came out of the Taney Jamison Trophy and also what we saw in the World Cup, missing Grace Nowacki is curtains for New Zealand at the moment. And currently we're recording it's Tuesday night before the Comp Cup. And we don't know if Grace Nowacki is going to play. And I think that if she doesn't play, it's not going to be good for New Zealand. And if she does, um, there's a chance they can kind of keep it close and pressure the Australians because there is the familiarity for some of those players who've played so many tests against Australia over the years. Yes. And I think that while Amelia Wormsley came on for the Silver Ferns in the Tiny Jamison series for uh, matches two and three, um, and did provide that tall timber um, target in the shooting circle for the ferns. Um, she's still so young, and I think even uh, even her performance against the Roses BC B side defense, <laughs> um, you know, it was great for her first and second matches to to represent her country. Not trying to take away from that, but. I think if you put her on against Courtney Bruce and Sarah Clow, you're getting a very, very different outcome. And I think Wormsley will be shut down a lot more often um, if that's who who's going to be trying to maintain the linchpin in the Silver Ferns attack end. I don't think it's just her age, though, because Grace Nowicki's still young as well, but mm. it's that body strength that Nowicki yes. has. And that's why she's so dominant, is that she's strong enough to put the goalkeeper behind her or in front of her and keep the goalkeeper where she wants. We we haven't seen that from Wormsley. To be fair, she's still pretty slight. I think it'll take a little while before she has the tricks of the trade to do that. And, you know, there's a reason that we talk about Grace Nowacki as a generational player is that she's special to be able to do that at such a young age. And it's tough for Amelia Wormsley to be forced to step into that. And I think that with all due respect to her, they're in real trouble if she has to. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely that, you know, we saw her get sort of pushed around and um, pushed off court when having to fly through the air to take ball. Um, and I think also that the other aspect of it is the connection and confidence the Ferns midcourt has is still lacking at the moment. Um and I think we really saw that when Alice Harvey came on for the Roses against Wormsley. Um, the Roses then struggled to win ball, but I think they did actually manage to slow ball going in. Um, it still got there. But again, if you put in Courtney Bruce and Sarah Clow, who will, who will have an impact on the confidence for long, high feeds going into Wormsley, and then also they can hunt and win ball on top of that. Again, concerning concerning combinations and features for the fans. Yeah. And on the flip side, we mentioned that the Diamonds are practically at full strength. So um, of the 12 named at the World Cup, uh, 10 of them are back here. Uh, the only two who are not are Steph Wood, who's retired from Diamonds, and Ash Brazel, who's retired from Netball. Um, Brazel has been replaced in the squad by Kate Maloney, who's the travelling reserve, and Steph Wood has been replaced by her, I'm going to say heir apparent, uh, in the young Sophie Dwyer, who 
you know, has a, a long future ahead of her in the diamonds by the looks of things and has already shown that she can handle the diamonds pressure um, in her debut series against the Roses last year. So with that squad of 12, anything that stands out to you, Steph? I mean, we've talked a lot about this diamonds core because we've seen them quite a number of times now together. Yeah, I mean, um, as a Vixens fan as well, I'm super excited to see Maloney uh, get into the squad after being the travelling reserve. Um, I'm sure it was not a shock. Sorry. I think it was a bit of a shock to most netball fans that uh, Amy, uh, Amy Parmenta didn't get the call up with Ash Braz, uh retiring. Uh, certainly... Um, I definitely talked about how Amy would walk in on a silver platter once Ash had retired, um, particularly with that strength she has as a wing defence. So um, I think, you know, on, on one hand, it's really good to see um, Maloney get rewarded for, for yeah, having been that travelling reserve, for putting in the effort, for, you know, being part of the team that won the gold medal at Commonwealth Games. Uh, but I think... Yeah, it's interesting to see that they have gone with someone who does play a bit more centre um, and less of that wing defence specialist that Ash Braz was and that Amy Parmenta would have sort of been a like-for-like like replacement for. I think that's really reflective of the fact that it's a short series and not a major tournament. I think we've discussed a few times on here the importance of having specialist position players over the course of a major tournament. But over these short series, I think you do have the scope to change combinations and kind of mess with it a little bit because you're not putting players under the load of eight games in 10 days um, where they do kind of need to be a bit more specialized so that you can kind of manage rest a bit better. And so I think that makes sense from a learning perspective. And I agree, it's great reward for her, for her work as a traveling reserve. Um, and it, it also shows kind of Marinkovic's pattern she did the same with Jamie Lee Price, who was the traveling reserve at the Com Games last year and was rewarded by getting into the squad for the World Cup this year because she continued to kind of grow. And I'm sure Maloney did in camp in South Africa. And the there was probably a little bit of disappointment that Danelle Wallen didn't make the side. But I think with the balance of the squad, you need another pure goal attack. You can't have three goal shooters and a goal attack. I don't think that's a balanced attack. And we've talked i don't even know how many times about sophie gardner goal attack and how we don't see that as a viable option so i think it makes sense that it's soft why that steps in and i'd love to see if it is so squared over the course of this tournament yeah i mean i'm incredibly disappointed to not see danelle get the call up again you can see the logic that has played out um to have a you know primary position goal attack replace Steph Wood, whose primary position was goal attack. Um, uh, but if Danelle doesn't get the call up for South Africa, I will riot. Um, <laughs> she better be in the squad for them. Well, and I think South Africa should be taken as an opportunity, kind of like England did with the Danish Jamison series, where it's your chance to blood some players who you see as part of the next cycle. And we're not talking about giving away diamonds caps because... There's a lot of discourse about how they have to be earned and they should just be given to anyone. And, you know, 
you can have your views on that. But there are plenty of players who have earned the right to be given an opportunity to play for the Diamonds. They've earned those spots. And I think it would be good for Nepal for them to be given an opportunity because if something happens to a player over the next cycle, you you go into a major tournament with your goal shooter injured, having your next choice goal shooter with international experience makes a massive difference in the crunch moments of a big tournament. So, Steph, I'm going to put you under pressure here and on the spot. Uh, Serious prediction. Australia. Hands down. How many? Mm, That's harder. Um, So, for the Australia games, I reckon we win by 20. (laughs) I was just expecting like a 2-2 or 3-1, but like go for the (laughs) high scores. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we, I think reflecting on Con Cup last year, we, Australia did so much better at home in Australia. And I think it is not out of the question for us to win every quarter by five goals and therefore end up with quite a big margin at the end of our games. Um, I think I'm interested to see how we travel this year. Certainly uh, the Diamonds struggled when they went over to New Zealand for Con Cup um, last year, although... Joe Weston was missing um, along with another player or two. But, like, Joe's ability to shut down Amelia Ann is phenomenal um, and obviously key for that uh, New Zealand setup. So um, I really think it is well within Australia's power to have a clean sweep of this, but wouldn't be surprised if New Zealand managed to scrounge one win out. I think if Grace Murphy doesn't play Australia, probably it's a 4-0. Yeah. Um, and I think also the other fact to consider 12 months ago is that there was an element of both coaches playing a little bit with sleight of hand, not wanting to give away too much ahead of the World Cup. I don't think that's the case now. I think everyone's laid their cards out on the table and we could well just see the diamonds go, right, we're going to just put this in fourth gear and you can go with us for as long as you can. So yeah, I think this will be a pretty healthy Diamonds win, 4-0. So enough about the Diamonds. Should we talk about the Netball News of the Week? The moving News of the Week? <laughs> Absolutely. So on Monday evening, uh, Netball Australia and the Australian Netball Players Association each released statements saying that the other has rejected significant offers um, to reach a deal on a CBA. And the PA called for mediation, um, which I think is the eventual path we'll take, but we'll see where that goes. But uh, the facts as we understand them now, there is no team participation agreement for at least seven teams, potentially eight. I don't know whether SEN signed a TPA or some sort of license deal or what the deal is with the Melbourne Mavericks, but the other seven teams I don't think have signed the collective TPA. The players have most certainly not signed the CPA and as we record on the 10th for 10 days now have not been receiving paychecks, which is ostensibly they haven't yet, like they haven't yet missed a pay cycle, but um, the players are no longer getting paid. And that is a key issue because they are officially unemployed. There's a few key kind of issues that are sitting outstanding and some of that is on governance and financial transparency. 
Uh, some of that is on the restrictions on how uh, the Australian Netball Players Association uses its dollars. And most importantly, and most significantly, is the uh, proposed sharing model between the two organisations. So Netball Australia have proposed a profit sharing model and the Players Association wants a revenue sharing model. And as a final kick in the guts and perhaps the most effective IR move that uh, industrial relations move that the PA has given that they're not actually working and playing at the moment so they can't you know strike or sit down um, they have assigned their IP rights to the ANPA now the reason that this is a thing is that under the old CPA the players would have probably and I haven't seen the old CPA so this is all just from kind of working assumptions and know-how um, would have probably assigned their uh, the IP rights in their name, image, and likeness to Netball Australia for the purposes of marketing the Super Netball League. Now that that agreement has expired, that assignment is no longer in place. And instead of leaving their IP rights for their name, image, and likeness up in the air, the players have assigned it to the PA, which means that Netball Australia cannot use them without permission from the PA. And based on the tenor of the statements, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Now, the key difference between a revenue share model and a profit share model, I think this is this is the most important part of all, is that uh, what Netball Australia is proposing is that once they tally all of the revenues and all of the expenses and investments of Super Netball, the players can be given a share in whatever is left over as profit. Now, I've already checked back a few years. I haven't checked all the way back to the foundation of Super Netball. But as far as I can tell, Super Netball has never turned a profit. So what Netball Australia is proposing is a share in an amount that does not yet exist. Now, what the players have said is they want a revenue share. Um, so they want a share in all of the dollars that come in after there's a, I think it's 500,000 that they're saying the first 500,000 goes to Netball Australia to allow it to pay off its debts. And this is only for dollars that are above the forecasted revenue. So above the broadcast deal of the existing sponsorship. So this is for every extra dollar that comes in the door after the stuff that we know that is already coming. So there's some revenue that Netball Australia can forecast around the Super Netball League. Um, the Suncorp sponsorship, for example, the HCF sponsorship, the broadcast deal, and is anyone else sponsoring Super Netball these days? Is there a car, There's, maybe? Hyundai mm, or is it Mazda or something? What does Guzman Gomez? Uh, Nissan, Nissan, because they have the net points. That's it. <laughs> it was a car. <laughs> mm. uh, so after those sponsorship deals, the okay, first... 500 of extra money, 500,000 extra money that comes in Netball Australia get to keep to pay off its debts. And the players then want a share of every dollar after that. Now, that is not that much likelier than a super netball profit. But it, the, the key difference is about the control because profit is done after the accounting for investments and expenses and how those things are assigned. Revenue is just about what comes in. And so that is essentially the key stumbling point. And so heading to a mediation means that the two sides have said, let's get in a room, let's get someone who can talk to both sides and be 
independent and say, look, you might have to compromise on this, you might have to compromise on that and try and find a solution that everyone can get on with, with the help of a mediator. It also means that this dispute is not getting solved anytime soon. We're not seeing a CPA next week. Yes, and I think while we've, you've sort of highlighted the revenue share versus profit share as an incredibly key issue and perhaps the biggest issue, I think that is incredibly underpinned and contingent on the financial transparency ask as well. So um, while that, that, hit, that headline of revenue versus profit is absolutely a big thing, um, these other aspects that the players have put forward or that the, um, the compromise can't be struck over at this point in time do underpin this, this, this big issue still. So, absolutely. Yeah. Because if you don't have visibility over revenue and profit, you can't decide what you're willing to share in, and you can't make a reasonable assessment. Exactly. I really hope but, the players are setting up some kind of fighting fund, as other unions do when they are anticipating a sort of longer term, well, usually strike or yeah, industrial action that might drag on. I'm sure that we've seen the netball community get behind things like that. So I could tell you that that was certainly a conversation that I have with the players mm. that I manage about being prepared for that. Yeah. But it's more than just players missing paychecks that I think mm. is a really important thing to talk about while they're unemployed. And that is the players while unemployed don't have access to workers' comp insurance. <coughs> which means that they're uninsured for any injuries that they suffer training. And if you don't have an existing contract in place either, you don't have any sort of income protection if something should happen. And so players should be really careful about training and how they train. And that is my advice to any players who are listening. Be really careful about how you train. And it's why it's important to get this deal done soon because players aren't going to come back for preseason training they're not signing on. They're not getting organized. None of the season will have to be pushed back if this keeps going too long because nobody should be training and nobody should be doing any serious preseason training without insurance and a contract and financial protection in place because otherwise an injury could stop a player's ability to earn an income for the rest of the year. So we'll see what happens. I don't know how much longer this can go on before the positions become untenable. I think that's what both sides kind of think is that the other side will cave soon. Hopefully it just gets done. Is the compromise a certain exit? Potentially, but I am not sure. Hopefully that would get it done if it came to that, but I don't think that's the compromise. I think that's the condition to getting the two sides close enough together to have a compromise. Hmm. But the other thing we're going to talk about is that because there is no CPA, we don't have players signing contracts. So because of that conflict that I have, um, we're only going to be talking at this stage about players who have announced departures from their clubs. We're not going to be talking about where they're going, whether we know that or not, um, 
whether we are informed or what, but we're not going to be talking about them at this stage. Um, so the list of players that we have that are confirmed not to be returning to the Super Netball Club in 2024, uh, Liz Watson, Courtney Bruce, Sasha Glasgow, Amy Parmenta, Lauren Moore, Elle Cardwell, Mia Stower, Gabby Simpson, Taylor Fraser, and we know that Gretel Buetta is not returning next year. So the reason I put Buetta in a slightly different category is that we know that Buetta is taking another year of maternity leave and having a sabbatical. She may well return to the Firebirds, but um, that's not kind of what we know at this stage. We know that this stage she's not playing netball at all next year. So should we talk about how some of these clubs can deal with replacing? I mean, Bruce and Watson are talismanic figures. They've been at these clubs. I mean, I can't picture either of them in another uniform. I can't picture these clubs not running out with them. Like, that. It, it, am I alone in this? Is that weird? Gabby Simpson, I guess, is the same. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty devastating as a Vixens fan to lose Liz Watson, um, just as t in terms of, like, a co-captain, obviously a phenomenal player for the team, um, but also just for how long she's been around the club and how much she was both the Vixens and the Vixens was her. Um, so I think that'll be, that's, yeah, I think been a big shock to the other Vixens fans I've spoken to as well. Um, plenty of them came out and said they thought Liz would be a Vixen for life. So um yeah really really interesting times and I imagine yeah I imagine Courtney Bruce is the same certainly from a you know general netball fan perspective you know Fever's a team that I enjoy watching um and supporting sometimes when they're not playing the Vixens uh, and <laughs> Courtney Bruce is is yeah, it's just been, again, a phenomenal captain. Their first, obviously, captain that led them to a premiership. Um, I think she's going to be a huge... Both of them will be huge holes for their teams. I think El Cartwell is also a massive hole for the T-Birds. I mean, their, their premiership was centred around her. She was the missing piece, and now she's gone again. And that's going to be a really hard hole to fill for them, I think. Oh, and we should include Maisie Nankerville in that list as well. We know that she is not returning to T-Birds as well. Apologies, yes. Maisie, for missing you in the first round. Um, and I mean, you know, in shock to regular fans, I'm sure Glasgow, in my opinion, is also a huge hole to fill. Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> and again, yeah, was really a key player that came in and helped them get finally across the line to premiership success. So both Cardwell and Glasgow really show the importance of that that goal attack position. I mean, Cardwell obviously as well, her versatility in um, slipping between goal shooter and goal attack. Um, yeah, I think it'll be very concerning for both teams to fill both their shoes. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Is there anyone on that list that kind of surprised you? I mean, no one that we haven't already sort of mentioned. I think, I think hands down, Bruce and Watson are the biggest shocks. <laughs> um, potentially Amy Parmenter as well is um, a big one. The number of times that I've seen that Palmy Army shirt in orange, mm. like it's it's not going to be orange anymore. <laughs> it's, it's weird. <laughs> They're going to have to reprint the merch. <laughs> Maybe but, they'll have some paint. <laughs> but I think, think she's a surprising one to me she had seemed like the Giants just were such a natural fit and you know she's a New South Wales girl she's coming through the pathway they were all about the New South Wales pathway so I think that was a big that's a big seismic move and to the same extent Lauren Moore who has now exited the New South Wales pathway entirely after coming up through it and spending time with the Swifts and then the Giants. She's exited that pathway entirely. I think that's a big step as well. Um, and we also have on your list, and we have a, as a side note, there is a player who we're going to speculate is coming to Super Netball because they're not on an NSL list and they're not on an ANZ list and that's Fran Williams. So given that she's just won an Olymp uh, oh God, a Commonwealth Games no. bronze medal or did they miss out on Com Games? Fran wasn't in the Com Games squad. Well, she did win <laughs> a World Cup silver medal um, yes. and played a pretty significant role in that team. I... I'm struggling to believe that she didn't get an offer in the NSL, which given that she's not an NSL, NSL list makes me think she's coming to Super Netball. So it will be interesting to see where she goes. And I think she could be a, a big difference maker for a team because we've seen that ability to make a difference on the international stage already. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I didn't read sort of word for word Loughborough Lightning's uh, statement on Fran's departure or their team list but there was definitely um intimations made that it wasn't that they would have been happy to see Fran who was part of the premiership winning team with Lightning last year and I think three years ago as well um yeah keep going with the club yes I imagine so, so. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't think we've seen any of these clubs who have said yep yeah, we sat them with open arms we don't want it back I think there, there have been a few clubs who said that they haven't extended contracts, which, you know, yeah, is different to the Vixens with Watson and the Fever with Bruce and the Swiss with Fraser who all said, no, don't take her. Yeah. They don't come back. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I think Fran Williams is in that category as well. And that Loughborough would have loved to have her on for a few more years if she wanted to stay. So mm. it will be interesting to see which lucky team has picked her up. The other one, which I kind of hope for, but I think I'm wrong on, is uh, Layla Guskus was also not signed for any NSL team. I don't think there's been an official statement that's come out, but it's kind of been the whispers that she's taking a year off. Um, she got married post-World Cup. She's also a doctor, like just a phenomenal yeah, all-round human. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, she both 
worked as a doctor in during COVID and, you know, still also managed to come and play netball when she could at the highest levels. So, um, you know, I personally would love to see Gus Guth return to SSN, but I suspect it's more accurate that she's taking a year off. Yeah. And there are a few English players who we have whispers and we thank Linda Pierce for her service in creating plenty of whispers. Most of which she seems to have been right about so far. Um, and I'm, I'd suspect she's right about most of them. Um, she's got a few more English girls coming, making the uh, long trip down under. Um, so I think it's going to be exciting. I think this is going to be a, a very different looking Super Netball competition next year. And that's kind of exciting to see different faces and the same faces in different dresses. It'll be fun. Yeah, looking forward to finally getting some signing news when we get it. I think obviously also sharp eyes are, well, again, good old Linda has uh, pretty much released who she thinks the Mavericks team is. I think she's got three teams. I think she's got the Mavericks, the Lightning and the Vixens. And Mm. I wouldn't bet on her not having the rest in short order just quietly. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. Um, but I think everyone will be uh, on the edge of their seat still until all signings are announced, but in particular to really confirm what that Mavericks SEN team looks like for their first season. The, the other thing that I'm really excited for is that for those who remember the signing period two years ago where there were some hints floating around, we saw some teams playing into those hints and some teams dropping mm-hmm. some great content with their signing announcements. You don't have the element of surprise with us anymore. You're going to have to get creative. I want to see some like really fun content from teams announcing their signings. You've had plenty of time to think about it. That's no excuse. <laughs> like It's not like you sign them in four days and you've got to announce them. Some players and teams have had you know non-binding agreements in place for weeks already. There's still weeks to go in this content it's got to be good there is no excuse for bad content on this i will give them a small leeway in the fact that if i was a player as much as i would i'm sure love to um you know start planning and start becoming part of that club or continuing that relationship with the club they're not fucking paying me excuse my language um so like you a lot of the content wasn't player centric it was about like a play on the name or something like mm. clubs can develop all of this great content it doesn't have to involve the place because they're not allowed to use the players yeah. ip at the moment yeah exactly but you can prepare for it and you know things that don't need to be filmed by players there's plenty of stuff out there get creative let's go yeah good old millionaire hot seat is still in the public domain uh, oh yes okay, <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it so if you aren't following along um, we will release this episode or we are releasing this episode on Thursday 12 October Con Cup starts tonight so get ready we will be back in your ears probably next week midway through the Con Cup with a recap of the first half and then probably a series wrap. And then, depending on the state of the netball landscape, we might come back or we might take another holiday until we have the CPA and some proper signing news to talk about. 
What about South Africa series, Daniel? Well, doesn't it? That's when? November, December, <laughs> January? I've lost track, this year. honestly. This year. Okay. It's November. Well, we'll be back for that too. Um, hopefully, we've got some signing news before then because I really don't want to wait until November. But in the meantime, Steph, if people want to find you online to discuss netball with you, where is the best place for that? Uh, at Steph Ariara on all good social media, uh, which I still include Twitter. I don't recognize X, um, <laughs> uh, which is S-T-E-P-H-A-R-I-A-R-A. Also feel free to drop me a DM if you want to talk about The Voice before Saturday. Happy to have a chin wag about that and why you should write yes on your ballot paper. Just to break up and the nipple. <laughs> you can catch me at Decoppel uh, on wherever you get your social media fix. Um, there is a lot going on in my social media at the moment. Um, I make no apologies for that. If you want to engage with me on Netball, Twitter slash X is probably the best place to do that. Uh, the rest of my feed is for whatever else I feel like, uh, including plenty of bike pictures. Um, we are the Over a Third Podcast, which means you can catch us at Over a Third Pod on Instagram and Twitter slash X. Uh, we are part of the Edge of the Crowd Network, which means you can find our work on at edge of the crowd on Instagram, Twitter slash X and TikTok. And you can find our stories at, at edge of the um, which is uh, where we'll kind of keep you up to date with everything. We've got Ariana down at the Con Cup in Melbourne, so there'll be some cracking photos from that match. It's all very exciting. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Uh, chuck us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, and we'll see you next time.